the fourth chapter of Philippians. As we're going there, I know there's one announcement I didn't make this this morning. Uh, Many of you are aware that um, our beloved secretary, Miss Tina, loves her grandchild more than she loves us. Uh, So she is going to move to Spokane, Washington, uh, and... Uh, yeah, well, that we we tried to talk her into commuting, but she just wouldn't. And and Tina is it's because she's not here. I can talk about her. Uh, she wouldn't like it if she was here uh, that I would speak about her. But she has been much more than just uh, the hub of information. She has uh, understood her role as in far greater in ministry and has done a lot of things. Most of the things people don't know about, but she has uh, impacted a lot of lives here here at the church. So we'd like to do something nice for her. Um, She would not like us to do something nice for her, but we are going to uh, inflict it upon her nonetheless. Okay. Uh, So I think uh, Miss Wendy Sadler is coming up with with some things. If you would and and, uh, if you would like to to give to that, then uh, you can just write on your check to Tina and make sure that it goes to Libby and she will handle that. Okay. But it's something that uh, is particularly dealing with central. And uh, if you have any questions, you can check with Wendy. But uh, it will be uh, whoever we hire to fill that spot will have a a big place, the big shoes to fill because it's not just, Tina has not just, as I said, been a good nagger because that's what I need. Uh, You know, that fine balance between forcing me to do those things that I'd rather put off. You know, she nags about it and says, okay, it's got to be here. Uh, or, uh, and then she's also very organized, which I am not always organized. And she has also, uh, as I said, done a lot of hands-on ministry with people uh, and taking care of some people. So uh, we want to show our appreciation to her. So that was my uh, announcement relative to Tina. I think she's on. She gave me her... her uh, her letter of resignation, which I really didn't read, because uh, <laughs> I was hoping that, that I could throw it away, and she would, you know, not accept. Here's here. Do you accept my letter of resignation? No, you have to stay. I don't care where your grandchild is. Well, did I, her daughter lives in Spokane too. I, 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 you know, but but that's not why she's going. She's going because she wants her hands on that boy. Okay. All right. Now we come to the fourth chapter of Philippians today. This is a great little section here that Paul writes. And, and this, is, this is Paul's pride and joy, this church. He loves this church really more than any others. If, you could, if there was a hierarchy of love in Paul's life, the church at Philippi would be right at the top. He loves these people. He has seen them do so much. They have grown so, so far in, in their knowledge of Jesus Christ, their adherence to the, his teaching and the teachings of the apostles. Uh, this is his joy and his crown. And we come here to the last chapter, um, and he has some great words for them. So if you're able, will you stand with me as I read the word of God today? Heavenly Father, come upon us today, that our hearts might be enlivened to the things of Christ, 
that as we read these words of Paul meant for uh, his beloved church, they are also meant for this church and for us as individuals, that our lives would better conform to the things of Christ. Open our eyes and our hearts to your word today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 4, I'm just going to start in the beginning and read through verse 9. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea and Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle and in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This is, this is normal Paul. He writes about to people that he knows and he mentions them. In fact, the last chapter of Romans is basically a list of names that he sends his greetings to. And here is what he calls them to do. Verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. These things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. This is God's inspired word for us. Today, so please be seated. As I've said before, Philippians four six. When I became a Christian, this was the verse that that I think was. I don't know who said it to me first, but this is what I I, I live by: be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about everything, worry about nothing. That was my theology. I think it's a good theology, okay? Uh, of course, I, I realize there are some who are worriers, and, and I would just try to speak encouraging words to you. Do not worry. Spend that time where you're worrying. Spend it in prayer. Spend it, spend it in time seeking the word of the Lord and, and what he has for you, and find your confidence and security there. Okay? So, back in chapter 3, you now we don't have to turn there, but Paul begins with some warnings, and some explanations about the significance of having a right view, a right view of the cross, a right view of humility, a right view of suffering, that these are the things that we go through because the Lord allows us to go through these things. And even as far back as in chapter 2, the great Christ hymn, verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2, he lays out the right attitude for every believer. Now, you ever understand, what should I be thinking about? How should I act? What should my attitude be? Read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It should be that of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, in our passage today, Paul is telling us that right belief and right attitude must be made manifest in our hearts and in our actions. He says you cannot simply go around with a good attitude. That attitude must demonstrate itself in the demonstrable graces. We'll call it that. Demonstrable graces. Now, Paul has spent a lot of time on how we should think, set your mind on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, all of those things. 
Now, thinking for Paul is not just an intellectual exercise. Okay, he does not go off into a room and just sit, you know, think, think. He just not sitting there contemplating these things, because in Paul's world, when you contemplate something, you fix your mind upon it. But you fix your mind upon it so that you might apply it, so that you might live it out. So you fill your mind with those things which are pure and honorable and lovely and commendable and excellent so that you might live out in your life those things which are pure and lovely and honorable and commendable and excellent. Now, some of us are like Paul. We can sit there and we can think about it and we can think, yeah, this is how I need to be. And this is uh, because I've so filled my mind with the things of God, so filled my mind with honorable things and gracious things and, and pure things that now they flow into my life. Then there are some of us who need James. Now, we understand that when you get to James, James, there's no, um, as, a, as a friend of mine used to say, there's no velvet on his brick. Okay, He takes the brick and he smashes you right on the head with how you should live out the gospel. Now, James is assuming you've already read Paul and understand that we're not saved by our works. We are saved by grace. But James comes along as, as an example and he says in plain language, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And if you're not, if you hear it and then don't do it, you're like the man who looks at himself in the mirror. And then when he turns away, what happens? He forgets what he looks like. Okay. You have to live out the gospel. You must live out the gospel. In fact, what did we say here? I don't know what we said. Oh, here it is. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty... And perseveres, being no hearers who forget, but doers who act. He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. So this is the man who thinks on the things of God. He fills his mind with the things of God, and then he says, now I must act upon them. I must put them to use in my life. The Bible is not simply a book to fulfill our curiosity. It's not simply to make charts on theology or to fill our mind with good thoughts. It must be translated into action. It must be translated into action. As we learned earlier this week, you cannot audit the Christian life. Anybody who has gone to college knows that there are those who come and audit courses. They come and they sit and they don't have to take the test. They don't have to do any of the homework. They just sit and they absorb it. We do not audit the Christian life. You cannot sit and simply absorb it. You must go through the test. You must be involved in it. It must, it has to be lived out. There's no simply, no auditors in the Christian life. Now, Stories told of a missionary who went down to Mexico, and he was ministering there on a regular basis. And he was in in the midst of this group, and he found out that there was a particular problem, a particular health issue that was because their, their milk and, and, and the animals that they were getting it, their milk wasn't pasteurized. So he raised some money, and he bought the machine that would help pasteurize the milk. And the villagers built this special barn and, and, and had a great ceremony and made a big deal out of it when it got installed. And, and, and then the missionary left. And he came back a couple months later, kind of on a surprise visit, 
And the head of the community there said, oh, pastor, if we'd known you were coming, we would have plugged in the machine and had milk for you. See, they didn't use the machine. They had it there. They knew what it was for. They knew the health benefits of it, but they never turned it on. It's like the man who fills his mind and heart with the things of Scripture, but never lives them out. He knows the benefits. And Paul says, what are the benefits of living out the gospel? Look at verse 9. He says, these things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and it is in the practicing of these things that the God of peace shall be with you. So why don't I have peace in my life? Why don't I have peace in my life? Maybe you're not practicing these things. Maybe you're not living out the things of the gospel. There is a peace that comes when we fulfill the purpose for which we have been created, and that is to live out the things of the gospel. See, our thought life forms the basis for our behavior. If our faith is simply live for the observance or the expectations of those that we come to church and and hang out with, you know, if, if your Christian life is only about, well, how do I look on Sunday? You've got a problem. You've got a real problem. Christian conduct must flow from Christian, must flow from a Christian life, from a Christian mind and a Christian heart that has been filled with the things of the gospel of Christ. One of my favorite theologians is a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a doctor uh, to the Queen at one time in England and then went into ministry and went into the coal mines in Wales. And uh, there was a great uh, Welsh revival, and he was part of that. He writes about the Christian life in this fashion. He says, the gospel is not something we add to our lives. It is rather something which should entirely dominate our lives. The Christian life, therefore, is not merely a modification of the natural life. It is a new life. And Christians do not merely add something to their lives. They are people who have been changed at the center. They are entirely different. Entirely different. It's not simply that that I was a, a good person and I added Christ to my life. There are other religions that would gladly simply add another God. To their, to their list of gods. In Christianity, there is only one God. In Christianity, there can only be one ruler of every life, and the ruler of Randy's life cannot be Randy. It must be Christ. And it is a constant struggle to get rid of Randy and get more of Christ. John the Baptist had this right. He said, what? I must decrease and Christ must increase. It must be less of me and more of him. Now, Paul talks about the things you have learned and received. Learned and received. Received means to take into yourself, especially when it comes to the teachings of the apostles. And here he's talking about the ethical things, the guidelines, the the way that we are to live. He said, receive these things. So to receive them, the moral, the ethical uh, demands that go along with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ begins with our thought life. What's it say in verse 8? Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Now that is not an easy undertaking in our society, is it? to dwell on what is pure, to dwell on what is right. Flip on the news. Okay, we we affectionately say there's nothing but bad news. Well, it's pretty much close. Good news hardly ever makes it on TV because it doesn't grab us. Bad news, that's what makes the headlines. 
flip on any shows on television? Are you able to think on what is pure as you watch those? What about the Internet? What about the music that we listen to? Can your mind be consumed with what is pure and right and honorable and lovely and of good repute and of excellence and of worthy with, of praise by filling it with these things? It is very, very difficult. Okay? It is very difficult. Now, where can you find those things which are pure and lovely and excellent and worthy of praise? Well, certainly in Scripture we can find those things. Certainly in the things that flow out of Scripture. Um, on the way in this morning, uh, Jude had put in a, a CD uh, that we have. We have a, a series by Max McLean, and he reads the Bible. And I, I said, this is God's voice. If God, you know, for those of us who grew up with uh, Charlton Heston or uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. reading the Bible on, on tape, Max McLean is the voice of God, I'm, I'm convinced. And when he reads it, he's, it, it, I, I don't know, the Spirit has filled him, and it's simply the Bible. But man, it is good, Okay. So there's my plug for you if you're looking for uh, the Bible on CD, Max McLean's version. Okay, uh, So it is very difficult to fix your mind on what is pure in our world today. It just simply is. Okay, And Paul says, these things you have heard and seen in me, so go and practice them. Now, Paul is not saying, you know what, I'm the best Christian in the world. And if you really want to know what's going on, you've got to follow me. You know, it's, it's not a, it, Paul is not saying it's all about me. He's saying I have simply been changed by Christ and I have lived these things out. And you know that I have lived these things out. See, they were aware of what Paul had done and how Paul had demonstrated the things of Christ. Remember Paul and Silas? They're in the jail and they have been beat and they are chained. And all night, what are they doing? They're singing and praying, okay, singing and praying. Now, I want to think, think close, think hard before you answer this question. You've just been beat. You've just been saved from the mob who wanted to kill you, and now you are chained in the dungeon, kind of a damp, ugly place. It is dark. Are you singing all night? Are you praising God and praying to him? You might be praying, okay, but are you singing the praises of God? See, Paul was not super Christian. He was Christian. And, and he says, I want you to follow and live like I do. Okay, I'm not perfect, but be an imitator of me. Why? Because I imitate who? Christ. He says that's where our official attention needs to be. In fact, he says this over in chapter 3 of Philippians. Philippians. Brethren, uh, verse 17, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Right. How many of us know great saints who have gone before us, either maybe have already gone to heaven or still on this earth, that we like to emulate? We try to imitate their faith because we see, you know, there's something special about them. Why are they so gentle? Why are they so close to the Lord and I seem to be so far away? I want to walk like they walk. I want to walk in their footsteps. Okay? Paul says, walk in mine. Walk in mine. Paul points out the importance of having godly examples to show us. Not only by their words, but by their deeds as well. By their deeds. By the way they conduct themselves, whether it be in prison chained all night, or whether it be at work, or whether it be at home, wherever it is, we need to have godly examples. 
I give you this quote. I hate these quotes. Okay. Never expose yourself to the ministry of someone whose lifestyle you can't respect. It would be better for the preacher to break his neck going into the pulpit than for him not to be the first to follow God. Well, that's, that's awful, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I'm not Paul. Okay, I'm imperfect. I think the first Sunday I was here, I, I told you, I will let you down. But just like everybody else, we're trying our best to live out the things of Christ. Okay, trying our best. So Paul says, practice these things. And when in the word that he uses there in practice, it, it talks about doing something repeatedly until it becomes a habit. Now, what are your habits? Oh, well, are they good habits or are they bad habits? Okay. Uh, we all have things in our lives that we do and we have fixed into the routine of our life because we have done them again and again. Uh, somebody said if you do something for 30 days in a row the same way at the same time, it becomes a habit in your life for a very long time. Well, sometimes to form a habit, you have to do something that feels very awkward at first. Now, I remember uh, when I was uh, 15... And I was watching my dad drive his uh, Fiat. Okay, he had a little Fiat, looked like a box, but it was a standard. And and I read his road and track magazines, which he had, and and I was reading about these race car drivers and how they shifted gears and how they used the gears to make them go faster and slower. And then I'm watching my dad. And you know, if you drive a standard, you've got a, a left foot, you've got three pedals, but you only have two feet. Do you ever want, isn't that, that's a problem, okay? Until you read the race car magazines that tell you, well, you put your gas and brake on one foot and you can do all that. So I'm watching my dad and I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, as he, he drives and I'm watching and then he's got one hand on the wheel and one hand here and one foot here and one foot here. Um, and so when, when it came time, in fact, he was, he was away for a while and it was snowy. So I drove his car around the driveway. In practice, well, I was I was pretty good. All of a sudden, because I had watched and I had I had I was imitating somebody, and when I got the chance to do it, I began to imitate it. And I was like, "Wow, this is pretty easy." Well, not everybody picks it up that easy, and for some people, it feels very, very awkward. Okay, how do you let the clutch out and push the gas in just at the right time? What if you're on a hill? Well, it's not too bad here, but Pennsylvania, uh, you got some hills in Pennsylvania. Okay, then you have to use the emergency brake too. Some of you are going to the emergency break. Okay. All of these things. But once you begin to practice them, once you begin to study them, you put it into your life and it becomes a habit. To the point where perhaps this first time you ever drove a manual, you, you just were ready to scream. But after a while, it becomes, you don't even think about it. It becomes natural. That's what Paul is saying here. When you begin to think on these things, when you begin to set your mind, not on the things of the world, but on the things that are right and just and beautiful, it may seem awkward at first, but the more you do it, the more you form a habit in your life, the easier and the more enjoyable it becomes. You do it again and again and again. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, um, he, he shows up in Nazareth, and, and the first thing that he does, it says, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. Jesus had a habit, a custom, he would enter the synagogue on the Sabbath. Okay, And it was far more than simply, oh, well, it's 1030, I need to be at church. It was the way of life for him. It was a habit that was his entire life. It should be the habit with us. 
thinking on those things which are pure and just and right and excellent, whatever is of good repute, doing those things that the Lord calls us to do, habits of avoiding the pollution for our minds, the things that take us away from the Lord, habits of practicing the things of the word again and again and again. Now look at uh, verse 6 here. Here are the two promises that come in this section. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, when you're anxious for nothing, when you're praying about everything and giving thanks, you will have peace. And then verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Paul says, these things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. We are guaranteed peace here twice. Once, when we pray about it and don't worry about it and give thanks for it, we're guaranteed peace. Secondly, when we put these things to work, when we practice these things, we are guaranteed peace. Let me reiterate what comes earlier there. Whatsoever things are true, keep out of your mind what is false. Only let in your mind what is true. Now, when I say true, I'm not talking, well, how do I know what is false and what is true? The things of Scripture, the things which are right and beautiful and just, those are what things what Paul is talking about. Those things are the true things. Whatever is honorable, the Greek word here is reverent, compelling, everything dealing that with which is respectable. Exclude from your mind all that is dishonorable. Admit only what is worthy of God. Whatever things are just, how do you deal with people? Do you deal with people in a fashion that is just? Is, are the things of justice coming from your mouth? Is that what you focus your attention on? Whatever is pure. Now, as I said earlier, here's the fight that we have in our society. Because there are so many impure things in our world. So many impure things that are trying their best to work their way into our mindset. Somebody here from church gave me an article uh, oh, 18 months ago. Will your son throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball in hell? Did anybody read that article? Does that strike a chord in anybody's mind? Okay. That is such a great article. Because it, it talks about, are we willing to give our children all those things that the world has to offer so that my son will be throwing a 90-mile-an-hour fastball in hell? Okay. He's a great pitcher. Okay. But he's in hell. Did we give him the wrong things? That's, that's what it comes to. Did we focus our attention on the wrong things? Whatever is lovely, consistent with 1 Corinthians 13, whatever things are of good report, like the man who had the ten talents, whom the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. We focus our attention and our actions on those things which serve the kingdom, which serve the kingdom. Now, did anybody make a New Year's resolution? Oh, good. Okay, I don't make Oh, we got a couple. I, I don't make them. Because my, my nature is so sinful that I can't keep them. Okay? <laughs> I can't keep them. I've done it before. I certainly don't make spiritual New Year's Day's resolutions. Okay? Because 
I've come to the conclusion that it's not about, okay, the first day of the year, I'm going to change, and I'm going to do this all year. What's it about? It's about every morning getting up and saying, am I going to live this way? Okay, this is the tough part. Am I going to get up every day and live this way? Um, when you deal with, with your spouse, now, of course, Judy never has this problem because I'm always so, so wonderful. But it's every day waking up and saying, can I love this person? Okay, will I be in love with this person? I may not feel it, but will I be in love with them? See, that's what we are called to do, to every day work and make that decision that this is what we will do. Same thing in the Christian life. Okay, will I live it out in this fashion today? You can't say on the first day of the year, I'm going to change this year. You have to say every day, am I going to change? Some days, you've got to say it two or three times. Am I going to live this out? Because the Lord has taught us these things. He has provided for us. He has said, here's what you need to think upon. Here's what you need to fill your mind with. And then he gives it to us and says, now, I know there's a battle with your own will. What will you do? We've got so many things to fill our minds with. So many ways and opportunities to live out the things that come in. It is a question of our will. Will we do these things? I don't know about your will. Mine can be very, very stubborn. Very stubborn. And, you know, the Lord does not expect us to live these things out perfectly. Okay? But, as Paul said, be imitators of me because he imitated who? Christ. Now, as Christians, we are called to a whole different life, a whole different way of life, a whole different mindset than this world has, because we are called to dwell and to think upon these things, things which are beautiful and right and just and pure and honorable and excellent, and to try to put aside those other things. But it's not enough just to dwell on them. You've got to dwell on them to the point that they so fill your life that they flow out of these, and it flows out of this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a feast and, and, and of the things that our minds are supposed to dwell on. But, but Lord, it is so difficult in this world. There are so many things that are pulling on our attention and our time and, and trying to get our minds to focus on those and, and there's so many things at work and, 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 and in our lives and so many influences. We can't shut them all out. We have to deal with them. But if we begin in our personal lives to fill our minds with your word, to focus our attention upon those things which are good and excellent and pure, to the point that it begins to flow out of us. We can combat all those other voices in the world that are calling our names and and clamoring for our attention and our time because we will know that you are first and foremost. Lord, each and every day we need to set our hearts and our minds upon you. We need to start in your word. We need to to fill our hearts with your word throughout the day. Lord, we need to set you as our priority. So that out of our hands and out of our mouths will flow things of grace and things of peace and things of compassion and honor. And that we will be able to stand firmly on the things of Christ. That the world may call us to go and do other things. That we will stand on what is right. We will not compromise on those things, no matter what the cost. 
Lord, you have called us not just to a different mindset, but also to a different life. A life that lives out the grace that you have poured into us. Open our eyes to this, Lord, that those things of grace might flow from all that we do and say. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.